constantly refers to God as the Father because he wants to drill something home. When we talked about worry and anxiety, what did we talk about? We talked about God being our Father. If he cares for the birds, if he cares for the lilies who do no labor and no work and he takes care of them, how much more will he as our Father take care of us? When Jesus teaches us how to pray, he starts out with this. He says, our Father who are in heaven. Right there, there is a remembrance that we need to call to mind every time we communicate with God. And sometimes we think of God as this really big being in the sky that is too great for us, that is unconcerned with the little minutia, the little details of our life. But Jesus, in the title that he gives to God and these teachings that he gives us, is constantly combating that. God is eternally concerned with us. He's, he's concerned with our hearts. He's concerned with our lives. And he is deeply, deeply, deeply caring towards us. And we, it, it's good to know Jesus as Lord, and it's good to know him as king. But if we don't know God as Father, then we're missing part of his attributes. And we're missing part of who he is. And so I pray that as we've been reading the Sermon on the Mount, and especially today, that we can begin to understand God more as a father, as a caring parent that loves us. That he, will, he listens to us, that he hears our prayers, that he hears when we speak to us, that he's not ignoring us, that he, he, he's not too grand or too big for us, but he is thinking of us and he is listening to us, that when we are coming to him, asking, seeking, and knocking, that he is there to respond to our requests. See, in Galatians 3, 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God as Father means certain things for us. This is a concept that is constantly fleshed out because it's really important for us to understand that when he says he's Father, He's, yes, he's giving a title to himself, but he's also saying something about us. He's saying something about who we are. It's something that we need to understand. And first thing is, is that we are his children. We are his children. And with being his children comes a family. And so when God invites us to call him his father... He is also inviting us to call ourselves his children. And when he is inviting us to call ourselves his children, he's inviting us into his family. Into, he literally is saying, I am adopting you. And when he's saying he's adopting us, he uses this amazing term in the culture. So in, in the culture back then, the firstborn son was the one who got the largest portion of the inheritance or the entire inheritance. And so what Jesus is not only saying that you're my child, he's saying each and every one of you becomes like a firstborn son to me because all of you get to share in the inheritance of my firstborn, which is Jesus. 
And so when we realize, Jesus, that, that God is our Father and that we all have the inheritance of the Son, Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and that grafts us into a family of brothers and sisters, it changes our perspective of church. It changes our perspective of God. It changes our perspective of those around us, or it should. But a lot of times what happens is many of us have had bad experiences with our earthly fathers. We've had bad experiences with our earthly families. And so we do this, you know, it, 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 we've kind of dealt with abandonment. You know, that's a, an issue with fatherhood where we, some of us have never known our earthly fathers. They've never been in our life. They've never cared to know about us. You know, some of us are, when we think of fatherhood, we think of abuse. We think of physical, mental, emotional, sexual abuse. There's these deep connotations that run with fatherhood. Some of us, our father was there, right? He, he, he was in the house. Uh, he, he provided maybe through a job, but he was never really there. He was never there emotionally for you, or he was never there you know, to, to give a hug or a, a warming embrace or someone who really cared about your needs. And so I love something that Jesus does here. He's, he says this in verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? See, Jesus acknowledges here the evilness of humankind. And he actually uses it in a way. See, Jesus understands that there are imperfect fathers. He understands this. He knows that uh, this is part of life. This is part of humanity. That there are degrees of evilness, of imperfection that many of us have had to grow up with. And some of this evilness has done more damage than others. But what is happening here? is we can't allow the lens in which our Father has treated us or abandoned us to be the same lens in which we look at God the Father. And that's a lot of times what happens is, you know, we have a hard time viewing God as Father because we're viewing him through the lens of an earthly father. And so Jesus is trying to dispel that right here because he, he's differentiating earthly fathers and the heavenly father. He's saying earthly fathers, they're evil. Now there's, there's different degrees of the damage of the evilness that's happened to us. Some of us, it's been very extreme and it's been tough and there's wounds there that are still trying to be healed as adults. And some of us, there's been damage, but it hasn't been that bad. But we take that and we put a lens on how we view God, and we say, man, if, if you're my father, well, my father was never there for me, so are you never going to be there for me? Well, my, my father abused me, so God, are you going to abuse me? Or my father never really cared about me, so I don't know how much I can trust you when you say you care, because you're saying you're a father, and the only experience I know about fathers is this, but Jesus differentiates here. He says, yes, there is man who is evil, but then there is also the Father in heaven who is good. And we need to learn to 
change the lens in which we look at God the Father through. And this is really hard to do. Sometimes experience overpowers truth. It's, it's just part of life. And so the, the lens in which we start to look at God the Father shouldn't be our experience of our natural fathers, but we should start to dig into the Bible and say, how does the Bible give us a lens to view God the Father? How does the Bible speak to God the Father? How does, how does God the Father treat us? How does he react towards us? How does he care about us? What does that look like? And many times we'll have to go on a journey searching. What does an actual father supposed to look like? What is he supposed to do? And we got to slowly but surely start switching out the lens in which we view fatherhood through from an experiential childhood to a biblical understanding of what fatherhood looks like. And so Jesus says, look at even the evil father. You know, if, if, if a father, for the most part, no matter how evil he is, his kid looks at him and asks him, for something, he is not going to give something that will kill his child as a baby. Right? Even some of the depths of the evil people that we've seen in society, they have still been able to do things for their children. And God says, Look at that. If 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 even an evil man can look at his kid and his kid asks for bread or asks for something, he doesn't get a serpent that's gonna kill him or a rock. That would kill him. And so if even an evil person knows how to do something like give a child bread to keep them alive or knows not to give them a serpent that will kill them, when we look at God, we have to ask ourselves, how much more? How much more? And sometimes when we look at the lens through how we've been viewing God as a father, we need to realize and say, man, that was not good. How much more will God take care of me as my father? How much more will our heavenly father give us good gifts? How much more will our heavenly father care for us and love us and be there for us? If even our imperfect, evil fathers, because when you understand the Bible, you realize there is evilness in all of us. If even us being evil know how to care for a child, how much more will someone who is only good know to care for his children? And so this is where it gets sticky uh, because we then, we, we read this passage and we look at it and say, man, ask and I will receive Knock and it will be open. Seek and I will find. And it's Christmas time is coming up, and start to think, man, Christmas is coming early. Okay, all right. What's my list of things that I am going to be asking for? All right, all right, God. Let let me put this verse into perspective. I'm going to start applying this ask, seek, knock thing. God, I am asking for a big TV. God, I am I am seeking for a wife. God, I am knocking on the door of opportunity for a new job. Thank you for all the good gifts. Thank you. You're, you're amazing. And if our first thought about God, if, if we could 
ask him for anything. If our first thought is we say, man, I can ask you. And so I have a list of all these material possessions and things that I want. Then, in my opinion, you're missing something. See, if you could have anything that you wanted, right? You get carte blanche. God says, ask me anything that you want. Ask it. Seek for it, knock it, I'm going to open, mm, windows of heaven, I'm going to pour out. If you, if you seek for this, I'm going to give it to you. If you just ask, you're going to have it. And I'm, I hear that and I say, I'm going to claim that for myself. I'm going to go home and I'm going to start asking for some big things, God. I want that. I'm going to ask for that TV. I'm going to, I'm going to knock for that opportunity. I, I want to seek out that husband. If we start thinking, and our first thought is when God says, I'm going to give you something, is to want something material, then guess what? Your heart is in the wrong place. When God says, I'll give you anything, and, and, and you say, this is what I want, what you're telling him is, this is my treasure. That's what Jesus said. Just in the, in the chapter before this, he says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. And so when he says, I will give you the desires of your heart when you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking and you ask for the TV or the entertainment or the fame or the, uh, the Instagram followers, if that is what you are seeking and you are knocking for, then what you are saying to God is that the, the primary thing on my heart is this, is this is this material thing, is this, is this earthly comfort, is this care in the world? But I want us to read how Luke puts this same exact verse. You know, Luke is recording a very similar sermon that Jesus is giving in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. And just listen to this with me. Luke says, If then who are evil know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So Luke is clarifying something for us here. It's the same exact passage if you read before about the asking, the knocking, the seeking. But when it gets down to what you will get when you do that thing, Luke says what you will get is the Holy Spirit. And so some of you are thinking, oh, come on, man, this is a jip. I'm, I'm being gypped right now. You know, I, I read this passage, and I'm starting to think of all the things that I'm going to ask, seek, and knock for, and, and now you're telling me that really what I'm going to get is the Holy Spirit? I'm feeling gypped. And if that, if that is the response, I'm fine. You know, we talked about judging last week. I won't judge you on that one. But let me tell you, if you feel gypped when God promises the Holy Spirit every time you ask, seek, or knock, then you have not encountered the Holy Spirit. If you have encountered the Holy Spirit, then you realize that when God says, I will give you whatever you ask, whatever you seek for, and what you knock for, then the first thing that you are going to run for is you're going to say, God, I want more of your spirit. God, I want to be filled with your spirit. Father, when you promise me the Holy Spirit, I'm going to hold you to that word and I'm going to ask you for him every day. I'm going to seek for him wherever I go. I'm going to knock on every door and say, are you there? Because I want you. I want to share some stories with you. Because encountering the Holy Spirit has left me deeply marred by it. 
There are things in my life that will never be the same again because of moments where I encountered him. I remember one of the first times I really encountered the Holy Spirit. I was 18. I was at a, I was at a youth group. It was our Friday night service. And it was, you know, we were just doing regular worship. And I remember going to the altar during worship and just beginning to pray. Man, and, and I'll never forget God's presence just came over me. And if, if you've never experienced that, I can't describe it any other way. You just, you know when it happens, when his presence is in the room, when he fills you. And I remember just getting on my knees and I began to weep. And I just began to cry because what happened in my life, I'll, I'll never forget. It was a moment where something I was asking God for, he came and answered and he gave me a good gift. And this good gift was healing through the Holy Spirit. You see, if you met me before I was 18, you wouldn't have recognized me. I, I, I remember um, being the most, I, how do I word this? When you think of the word procrastination, if you looked it up on Google right now, you would get a picture of Justin waving his hand, pre-18. I procrastinated more than, I mean, I must have heard my parents say that word eight million times, stop procrastinating, Justin. I never did my homework as a kid because I procrastinated. Yeah, I'll do it at seven o'clock. I'll do it at eight o'clock. I'll do it at 10 o'clock. I'll do it at 11 o'clock, at 11.30. <sighs> You know, I'll do it in the morning when I wake up. Snooze, 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 snooze. Oh, I'll do it when I get to school. And it would never happen, right? I was the procrastination king, never doing my chores, just putting things off as much as possible. The most irresponsible person you'll probably ever meet. I also, I used to think I was really stupid. And, you know, it it wasn't anything my parents did. It was just because I procrastinated, because I never did school, and because of how school measures you this day. If you can't do well on a test, they, you feel like you're just not smart. And so I just grew up thinking, I'm not smart. I'll never be one of the smart kids. I'll never be somebody that attains to that. But I remember that night at youth group, I was praying, and the Holy Spirit came and filled me up. And as I was on my knees, I was crying. I didn't really understand everything that was happening but I remember God started sifting through my memories. And I remember moments when people called me stupid. They said, Justin, I'm taking that out and I'm sewing that up in your heart. You're no longer going to view yourself as stupid. I remember moments of procrastination. These memories came up. People saying, I'm, I'm a procrastinator. And the Holy Spirit just saying, I'm taking that away from you too. This wound that is created in your heart, I'm sewing that up. Moments of people saying I was irresponsible, that I never get things done. God was saying, I'm taking away those, those things spoken over your life, and I'm sewing that up. And as I sat there and just wept in the presence of God, I remember after all these floods of memories that God was healing me from, from the time I was a kid, things I didn't even remember that happened to me from a very young child. I stood up from that moment, a different man. And I, it was it's incredible. A month later, I was doing something in, in uh, the church office, and somebody came to me, 
And they're like, hey, Justin, one of the pastors asked me to give this to you to get done since you're Mr. Responsible these days. And I was like, ha really funny. And he was like, what do you mean? I wasn't, I wasn't saying a joke. And I never viewed myself as a person who is responsible because that wasn't, I didn't think that was who I was. But the Spirit did something in my life that day that changed me because what I find about the enemy that's really interesting is always try to pigeonhole you into the opposite of where God has called you to be. And so for me, I was called to be someone who was responsible, someone who got things done, and yet here I was thinking that I was forever irresponsible. And I remember when this person told me that, I was thinking, this is crazy. Since when am I responsible? I mean, what does that say about the people around me? (laughs) If I'm the most responsible person here. But I started to notice, man, God, he changed my heart. Something that I thought was part of my personality, that I was dumb, irresponsible, and a procrastinator. Something that I thought would never change. God was saying, no, that's not who I made you. This is who I've made you to be. I remember when I was 19, someone invited me to come preach at a youth camp. I still don't know why. But I had one week, I was preaching at this youth camp. I preached, I never preached that much in my life to this day. I preached three times a day. Morning, afternoon Bible study, and night preaching. It was crazy. And I did that for seven days straight. And so I remember in between, I had to pray a lot because I was done with my material after the second day. So about the fourth day, fifth day, I went to my room and I was praying before the night session. I just remember just asking God, God, I want you to do something in their lives. And I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit come in. There was a kid that was there that was paralyzed since birth. He never felt anything below his waist. He was in a wheelchair. And God spoke to me while I was praying. And he said, I'm going to heal that boy tonight. I just want you to pray. I remember the presence of God filling that room And I I don't know how to explain it, but I knew that boy was already healed before I even saw him walk. But that night during the meeting, I saw that boy walk at the age of 16 for the first time in his life. It was so amazing that the kids, his friends that had grown up with him in that church, couldn't believe it. They used to have a game where they played. It sounds cruel, but, you know, think of teenagers. They would kick him, and he wouldn't be able to feel it, so... They would play this guy like, hey, do you feel this? And he would go along with it. Thankfully, it wasn't bullying. Um, But that night, they were like, let's play that game again with you. And the first kid that kicked him, he screamed. He was like, yo, that hurts. You can't do that anymore. Because he had feeling in his legs for the first time in his life. If you've ever encountered the Holy Spirit, then you know there's nothing else that you want to ask for, seek for, and knock for. I remember burning out in ministry. Man, I, I was doing everything that I was told to do in church, but I wasn't being with God. And if you've ever burned out in anything, you know it's, it's one of the awful, most horrifying places you could ever be in life because you're just lying to everyone, including yourself, about how you are. On the inside, you are torn up, ripped up. You do not want to be where you are. You're depressed. You're anxious. You're stressed. You hate life. You hate the monotony, the the daily goings of it. You cannot stand it, yet you feel trapped in the fact that you have to keep on going like you're going. 
It's an awful place to be. And usually, I know, for me, my walk with God suffered. I stopped praying. I stopped reading. I, did, I wanted nothing to do with that walk. I remember going and having to preach sermons feeling like this and going home depressed after in sinful states and hating myself and going, completing these constant cycles of, of performing in front of others and then hating myself after for the lie that I was speaking to them and to myself. It's a, it's a place that you never want to be in. But I remember one day I realized that I was never going to get out of this and it was, I felt like I hit rock bottom and I had nowhere else to go, but I just, I prayed and I asked, I said, God, I, I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't want to read your word. I don't want to pray. I don't even know what to pray, but I know that I don't know where I'm going to be without you. I need you. Just do something in my heart. Can you spark a, a desire to read your, your word again or, or to pray I remember the Holy Spirit filling my room while I prayed that prayer. And something simple happened. He just said, I'm going to restore you. I just want you to read five minutes, three times a day. Just read my Bible and pray whatever you read. So I, I read through the Psalms over the next few months. And I remember in the beginning just I don't know why I'm doing this. This is awful. This is awful. I'm not getting anything out of this. But over time, the Holy Spirit just began to warm my heart towards God again. And over the next few months, I remember I, I couldn't live without being with God for those moments. I, those were the highlights of my days. And then God just did something, and it broke he, he opened up a door for me that I was desiring, saying, Justin, the routine, the monotony, the things that have been killing you, I'm shutting that door in your life. This is a new thing that you're going to walk through. And I, I remember the day that happened. I'll never forget it because it was one of the most joyous days of my life. I called my older brother, Chris, and I told Chris, I was like, Chris, I don't remember ever being this happy because over the period of a few months, God had restored me, but it struck me that one night of what happened and what he had done in my life and that where God knows where I would have been if it wasn't for him answering that prayer of me asking for him to do something that I couldn't ask for or couldn't do on my own. I remember even just last year when I think about this church, And I think back to praying this prayer, Holy Spirit, I want you to be in this in a way that when other people come and they encounter this church that we are growing, that they would encounter you and not us. That people would walk away with a definitive view of God is in that place. This is not the work of people. This is not the work of any man or any woman, but this is the work of God that is happening. And I remember after that first preview service being so fearful up leading to that day of, God, will anybody come? I don't, I don't know why they would come. I don't know why people would want to start this church in Bay Ridge. I don't know why anybody would want to be a part of this or lead in this or serve in this. 
And I remember walking away with such a deep sense of awe that I've been able to walk away from week after week after week just thinking, Holy Spirit, I could not ask for anything more than for you to be a part of the work that we are doing. See, when you go through life, and I can go over 10, 20, 30 more stories of moments that the Holy Spirit came in my life and God gave me a good thing. And I can honestly say there is nothing better. There's nothing I could have asked for. There's nothing I could have wanted. There's nothing I could have desired that would have been better than asking for your Holy Spirit. Now all I can do is beg, God, send your spirit upon me. Fill me with your spirit. The Holy Spirit is my deliverer. He's my comforter. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is the helper. He is a guarantee of the inheritance of eternal life on earth. When Jesus said he was ascending into heaven, he said, it's a good thing I'm ascending and leaving you because I'm sending someone. And he sent us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will cause you to bear fruit. He will cause you to walk in your call. He will bring you gifts. He will fill you with peace when you are anxious. He will give you the words to proclaim good news to your family. He will turn you away from fleshly desires that you feel like have been eating you up inside. See, the truth about your father is this. He does not want you to perish. In John 10, 28, it says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 3.16 says he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but has eternal life. Your father, he wants good things for you. Your definition of good things may be a little bit different than his definition of good things, but realize the good things that he wants for you is better than any good thing that you could want for yourself. He has sent his son so that we can have eternal life. And now he has brought his spirit so that we can walk out all these amazing promises that he has given us. So when we ask, let's ask for his spirit. When we seek, let's seek him at every turn that we would find him. When we knock, on all the doors, all the mystery of God that he would open and that he would fill us. And in your Father who is great, who is just, who is more than enough, he will give you good gifts. The riches of his mercy, the lavishness of his grace. I have this question for us. Can we be a church that, stop, that stops asking for things that stroke our eagle, our ego, our eagle? If anybody has eagles, I think it's illegal. You should get rid of them. I don't know if that was a prophetic word for somebody. 
You're going to get arrested soon. I want us to be a church that doesn't want things that just give us more status with people or, or give us more power over others or, 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 or puts us at a place of, of saying, I have all this material things, but I want us to be a church that is desperate for the spirit of God to move. I would say, God, the one thing that I want, the thing that I desire is for your spirit to come down in my life, in the life of my family, in my coworkers, in my church, and in my neighborhood. Because when you encounter him, you realize the good thing, the only good thing that you can wish that people has is that the Holy Spirit draws them, that the Holy Spirit transforms them, that the Holy Spirit renews them. And that the Holy Spirit creates a new person in them. There can be no greater gift that you wish. There can be no thing that could be better that you ask for. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. He is gentle. He is slow to wrath. And he is our Father who wants to give us good gifts today. Why don't we stand?